The Lifestylist, episode 94, featuring Jeff Kober. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. You're listening to part one of two with Jeff Kober. Before we kick this thing off, I've got a very exciting announcement for you. I'll be spending my 47th birthday weekend in lovely Aspen, Colorado. That's right, my hometown, the town in which I was conceived many moons ago. First event that I need to tell you about is Friday, October 27th, where I'll be speaking at Aspen Shakti. I'll be presenting my workshop on modern-day real-life spirituality and how to overcome negative thoughts and emotions. Yes, that is actually possible. To come to my event on the 27th, you'll go to aspenshakti.com. That's Friday, October 27th at 7 p.m. Now, that whole weekend, I'm also going to be attending an incredible experience called Lead with Love which takes place on the 26th through the 29th. The 29th is my birthday, hint, hint, if anyone wants to send me a gift. No, just kidding. But you might want to check this event out. Uh, Come out to Aspen and hang out. Lead with Love is a fantastically transformational experience put on by the nonprofit Aspen Wellbeing. It includes world-class yoga, a bunch of curated workshops, inspiring music, really good high-vibe food, and I'll be there taking classes from Deepak Chopra, Marianne Williamson, and tons of other next-level spiritual teachers. So if you want to come to the Lead with Love event, here's the URL. It's leadwithloveaspen.org. Here's what's even cooler. If you want to come hang out for that four-day pass, you can enter the code LUKESTORY at checkout and save $100. So pretty cool stuff. So I'm going to be in Aspen that whole weekend just getting down. Please come hang out with me. Once again, I'll be speaking Friday, October 27th at Aspen Shakti. That's at aspenshakti.com. And then I'll be chilling at the Lead with Love event, which is leadwithloveaspen.org. Use the code LUKESTORY at checkout and save $100 off your four-day pass. I will see you in the Rocky Mountains, baby. I can't wait. Today's episode is brought to you by livinglibations.com. Living Libations is an exquisite line of botanical beauty products, immune-enhancing formulas, and potent dental serums for those seeking the purest of health and wellness products on the planet. They are absolutely my number one personal go-to when it comes to dental hygiene products, skincare products, and essential oils. And I have to say their Poetic Pits deodorant is probably the only natural deodorant on the planet that not only works, but actually smells really good. It works with your body's own biochemistry and each person that wears it kind of has their own scent. I like Palo Santo personally. I use it every day. I'm like freaking out because I'm about to take a trip to New York and I just ran out of it and I don't think I can get a shipment in time. That's how much I need that stuff. So Living Libations is an amazing company. I'm always recommending them to all of my clients and friends. Totally legit products. Here's the good news, though. You're going to get a little discount code. So if you go to livinglibations.com and use the code LIFESTYLIST at checkout, you will save 10% off your order. So that's livinglibations.com. Use the code LIFESTYLIST and save 10%. 
Okay, I've got something really cool to share with you, and that is my latest find in the biohacking tech world. If you follow me on social media or you listen to the show, you know I'm always looking for the latest and greatest when it comes to technologies with which to improve my health. And I recently stumbled across something called a Juve, that's spelled J-O-O-V-V. And the Juve is a red light therapy device that you use in your home. And that's what people always see on my social media. And they ask me, what the hell is that red light behind you? Or I'm going to tell you about it. Check it out. Let me break it down like this. So just like whole food can be broken down into different vitamins and minerals, well, sunlight can be broken down into different colors. So just like the nutrients in whole food, each color of sunlight has its own effect on our bodies. This is why you feel so awesome when you get out into the sun, right? Well, each color of the sun spectrum has its own unique properties, and each one penetrates your body and benefits your body in different ways. So once your body absorbs this light, the energy is converted into cellular energy, which kicks off a series of metabolic events like the formation of new capillaries, elevated production of collagen, and the release of ATP, which is the stuff that gives you shit tons of energy. So red light therapy sounds a little crazy, but it's been approved by the FDA and its effectiveness is studied all over the world. So basically in the world of science, medicine, biohacking, it's irrefutable that red light therapy really works. Some of the benefits include repairing sun damage. Now, I'm someone that likes to get out in the sun as much as possible, and I don't want to look 85 years old when I'm still in my 40s. So it reduces wrinkles, it enhances muscle recovery and peak performance, heals acne and other blemishes, fades scars and stretch marks, speeds up wound healing. I just used mine to actually heal a dental implant that I got, and that shit was healed up in like three days. It was crazy, and it increases testosterone production. So it's a really cool technology. Essentially, you just stand in front of this really powerful red light. It feels really good. It only takes a few minutes a day and the benefits are insane. Like my energy is off the charts. So if you want to check it out, here's the deal. Go to juve.com. That's J-O-O-V-V.com. And as always, I've got a hookup for you. $25 off if you decide to order one of these gadgets for yourself. The audience code that you want to put in the cart is a lifestylist. So that's $25 off using the code lifestylist. The website is juve.com, the next level of red light therapy. It's also worth noting that these units on the professional medical side can cost upwards of fifty dollars to $100,000. So the guys at Juve have figured out a way to make this affordable for the consumer in-home use model, and their units start at under $1,000. It's pretty rad. So again, go to juve.com, enter the code lifestylist, and save 25 bucks off your order. What's up, pimps, players, hustlers? You're back with another episode of the Lifestylist Podcast. I'm Luke Story, and I am here to deliver the goods, my friend. And I'm going to tell you something straight up right now, just straight up fact right to the dome. You are so fortunate to have stumbled across this particular episode because my guest is my esteemed meditation teacher and mentor, Mr. Jeff Kober. And this one, my friends, is a doozy. This has got to be one of my all-time favorite interviews slash conversations. Jeff and I go back a few years, and of course I'm a little biased because this guy's helped me out of so many scrapes. (laughs) He's like the dude I call when the shit hits the proverbial fan. And he is just a wealth of information, a really beautiful, fantastically enlightened human being. Jeff has spent the last 30 years studying and teaching metaphysics and meditation. He's also an actor. You might have seen his work on shows like Shameless, The Walking Dead, The Sons of Anarchy, and literally dozens of other TV shows and feature films. 
He also currently teaches Vedic meditation courses all over the world, and he writes a really cool daily Vedic meditation thought of the day, which he sends out on his email list. He's been doing it for a few years and uh, is currently working on putting that into a 365 meditation daily reader. So Jeff's doing some very cool stuff, creative guy in Hollywood, but also super conscious. So you, my friend, just scored from dropping in on this episode. Jeff and I sat down in my house for over two hours. So this is going to be a two-part episode. Obviously, you're either listening to one or two right now. It'll become obvious to you when you look at the show on your player. But this is definitely one that you do not want to miss. You want to follow through to the end because, uh, man, we go down the rabbit hole of spirituality, creativity, acting. It's absolutely fantastic. So some of the things we cover in this double epic episode are as follows. The story of how Jeff moved to Hollywood to become an actor. And then we really talk a lot about in the first part of this episode about, you know, acting for the art of it versus acting for ego and attention and fame and money and all of that. And what it's like for him to play such dark roles like in The Walking Dead and The Sons of Anarchy while still being this high-minded, high-vibe spiritual teacher. And the idea that evil needs to exist in order for good to have something to do. That evil is absolutely there to encourage heroic. Heroism. Is that the word? Heroism. Yeah, heroism. (laughs) How as a human being, you need your ego to survive. But when you live through the ego, you are at the mercy of its demands. What he learned on his many, many spiritual pilgrimages to India. What's the main difference in Western culture versus the culture of India? Finding the middle path between Mother Teresa and total apathy. So how to have positive effect on the world, but not get caught up in that saving the world kind of do-gooderism craziness. How he finds balance between being an actor and a meditation teacher. How to avoid building a spiritual ego and getting caught up in the trappings of being special or enlightened. The power of jazz and the state of creative flow that it embodies. How he used Black Sabbath's music in order to get into character. And we talk about psychedelics as a spiritual pursuit versus attaining enlightenment on the natch. The hidden meaning of Alcoholics Anonymous is symbolism. Pretty trippy stuff. Why the Vedic teachings of non-duality are so powerfully transformative. How sex dissolves all of the ego boundaries and is the highest form of human connectedness. What it was like to walk across India with the saint known as Sri M. Clearing up the misconception that paying for spiritual teachings is wrong. How to avoid spiritual bypass and face difficult truths about yourself. And the fact that the key to life is learning how to be a giver rather than a taker. So in this absolutely astonishing double episode, Jeff really, really delivers the goods. And as I said, I'm just so excited to bring this double episode to you. And it was such a meaningful one to me. I think you'll be able to tell just how enthusiastic and excited I was to finally sit down with my guy and get to share everything that I've learned from him with you, the listener. So you're in for a treat, my friend. I also want to remind you, don't forget to tune in this Friday for part two of this episode, if you're listening to part one. And if you're listening to part two, because these have the same intro, 
Next week, number 96 features Lacey Phillips from Free and Native. And we sat down in my house and had almost an equally as intense talk about all things personal development, metaphysical manifestation, and all sorts of magic. So that's next week for number 96 with Lacey Phillips. Thank you so much for listening. Currently, I just checked my download stats. I'm at 840,000 downloads. I'm really working on getting to a million in the next month or so. So if you could do me a huge favor and just share this show with one friend right now, like literally just stop, pause the tape, and just screen grab, click share, do whatever you do to share information with your friends. It would mean so much to me so I can help uh, hit that goal and keep this thing on the rails. All right. Thank you so much. Until we meet again, peace out and enjoy this very special conversation with Mr. Jeff Kober. Jeff Kober, so good to see you. Welcome to the show, finally. Thanks so much, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, dude. So, audience listening to this, last time we attempted, we were just recounting this story, last time we attempted to record, Jeff came over and had all the gear set up, we're ready to go, and at that particular time, I was having some kind of meltdown, probably related to a relationship issue, and then we ended up just having a talk off mic, which probably, if it wasn't so personal, it could have been a really good podcast episode. It could have been a good podcast, yeah. Basically, we spent the hour rather than recording just dealing with my goddamn issues, whatever it was. So Stylist in crisis. Ah, dude. So I'm really glad to see you. And uh, now that we have mics on, I can probably think of some other ongoing dilemma that we could actually get into for the fun of it. Let's dive in. So dude, for the audience that doesn't know you yet, you're an actor and you're a meditation slash spiritual teacher. And that's an interesting combination. So let's start with how you got into acting. Did you, you're from Montana. I already know that because I know you. Did you uh, watch movies when you were a kid and dream of being an actor, or did that just happen when you moved to Hollywood? No, I didn't dream of being in the movies because where I grew up, children were not really uh, told about the possibilities of life. <laughs> they weren't really told anything. They were just <laughs> shut up and listen sort of thing. Thrown and, out in a field to like mend a fence or something? Yeah, kind of like that. And without even knowing why you were mending a fence, just go to work. <laughs> I, in third grade, I was sent out to, to weed the bean field. And it's fine for kids to work, but there was no gathering together of like, okay, this is what the family does, and you know, and we need this done, and come on, let's do it, and keep going, kid. It was like indentured servitude. But then I was in college, and the first time I saw acting, really, was I, I was a trombone player for all sorts of different reasons. When I came back to college after having dropped out for a long time, and... Uh, I ended up playing in the pit orchestra of Fiddler on the Roof. And I suddenly was watching these actors and going, oh, oh my God, these are people I've seen around the school and now they're up there and they're doing... And it, it was really kind of an eye-opening experience for me. Still, it didn't strike me that I could do that. Oh, and by the way, the conductor of that orchestra was J.K. Simmons, Academy Award winning uh, <laughs> No actor. way, yeah. really? His father was the head of the music school and, and he was getting his conducting degree. And then I dropped out of school again and followed a woman to Los Angeles. She was going to be an actress, and she was really otherworldly. She was, uh, she'd probably be on some sort of spectrum if, if she were ever diagnosed, but she would stand in front of the mirror for hours and make her face change and, and see strange things for herself. Again, I wasn't an actor until that 
relationship broke up, a uh, band I was playing in broke up. I was doing my very first and only office job at Getty Oil Company. I was a temporary paralegal. And I remembered that going to college and taking classes made sense. You were given something to learn. You learned it. You were tested. You could tell how you did. And I was just asking the other people I was working with. It was a whole band of misfits, you know, in this temporary position. Um, and this woman said, I go to this acting class. I think you'd like it. And so I went and sat in on the acting class and with Maria Gobetti uh, at the Victory Theater. She's still teaching there. And for the first time ever, I saw where all the emotions that were inside of me made sense. I saw that there was a reason for them, that there was a use for them, that feeling life as bigly as I felt it. I'm sorry, that probably sounds like a Trumpism there. Um, <laughs> that, that there was a, a way to put that into action. I didn't have to just cover it up or push it down with you know, getting drunk or whatever. Um, and it was like a real awakening for me. With the motive there, which sounds like a, you know, not to judge a motive, but it sounds like a pretty pure and healthy motive that you're finding a way of just addressing your human expression, right? A lot of people I found in the arts, and this has been true of myself for playing music, I love music. I love performing. I love recording, getting sounds, writing songs. Like I, I really am in love with music, but I also had a massive motivation in low self-worth, feeling like a piece of shit, and then if I could just make it in the eyes of the world and get that, that attention and those accolades that I would somehow be fulfilled. Was there any motive that you maybe perhaps later discovered that's like, I want to be famous, so I'm somebody, because you maybe didn't feel like someone on the inside? Take it back a step or forward a step, I'm not sure which way, but I discerned later on that it was about getting approval but it wasn't on a global scale or a mass scale that I was looking. I was just looking for someone to look at me and say, you're okay. So even like in the process of shooting a scene where someone's like, damn, you nailed it. Even just that, not necessarily being, you know, at the Academy Awards and the Tux. Yeah, whatever. yeah, yeah. Just because my generation, we were raised, there was no... Look, kids make sense of their life. They, they learn what they learn and they see what they see and they feel what they feel and then they come up with a mythology, usually that's handed to them through a church, through their parents, uh, and, and then added onto where they are the cause of everything. And when you feel bad, you think it's your fault. And when the parentals look at you with disapproval, you never quite come up to where you're supposed to be, it's your fault. And you never can quite, and you're trained to seek approval. And so, yeah, absolutely, that was a part of it. So it was a, the first thing was, there's some place where I can put all of this, because I was filled with stuff from things that happened in my childhood that were soul-crushing and that were my fault, quote-unquote, <laughs> air quotes. <laughs> right. um, Thank you for that, because there, half of this is video and half audio, so it's good that people... Uh, sometimes uh, when I record audio with people, they, they forget, and they'll do hand motions or some sort of body language-dependent communication. I'm like, yeah. no, you have to explain yeah. it. This is on someone's like yes. headphones, or they're listening in their car, so thank you. Okay, so I think approval plays in there when you're taught to seek approval to be okay, and when you're not given any tools to know that you don't need approval, that it's okay just for you simply to be, yeah, that's in there. But then as an actor, you come to a point where you do get approval, 
it doesn't fix anything. <laughs> and then you go, is there some other reason I'm doing this? Right. And it's, it's an important question for any artist to ask themselves. It's an yeah. essential question. Because then you start getting in touch with, well, what else is there for me to be doing this? Why am I doing this? And is it still something I want to do, even knowing that the approval is not enough? So let's say you get to a certain level of awareness and you're able to distill down, I guess you could say, a true heartfelt motive to express yourself creatively, right? Like a really legitimate, wholesome reason to pursue something. And then you discover kind of the reasons that were maybe, you know, the lower motivations from the ego mm -hmm. and whatever. Is there a point at which the creative process becomes its own reward and the outcome and the, and the outer success become less relevant or important to you? A absolutely. And I because think you just like dig what you're doing? Be because it's, it's like I was just telling this to someone yesterday uh, or two days ago we went on a, on a photo shoot and I was telling Marco the fact that it's all about finding the place where you can flow. And it's the feeling of flow. And, and I was telling him, I said, I could never act again and be perfectly happy. I teach meditation. I, I do photography. For those of you watching, this is not dirt. This is silver from my wet plate collodion photography. It's, uh, <laughs> it will come off in a few days. It will wear off. Um, I could never act again, and I would be fine with that. And yet, when I act, I come alive in a different way that I find it very challenging to do without that as a, a format and a forum within which right. to do that, a framework right. within which to do that. Right. And what about the rest of the crap that comes along with pursuing that art? In, in my own subjective experience, you know, I played music for like 15 years. I played in, someone asked me how many bands, and I'm like, I literally have to make one of those family tree little diagrams. So uh -huh. like how many different musicians and how many bands? And I mean, it's just years and years and years more so than I realized, but now that I'm not doing it anymore. But I really liked certain parts of it. But I hated going to meetings with record companies. I actually don't like band practice. I don't even like live performing that much. I fucking hate touring. You know, when I finally inventoried, it was like the, those sweet moments where I actually did the parts of music that I like, which is like sitting down with a friend and coming up with a song, you know, creating something magical out of thin air, you know, mm -hmm. um, being in a recording studio, working on sounds, playing with different effects and all that kind of stuff, like that's 5% of the other bullshit that's required in order to be a professional musician, you know? So is there, what would you say the ratio is in terms of acting when you actually, you're doing a play or you're doing a scene in a show or a movie versus the auditions and the emails and the phone calls and all of the sort of, you know, framework that you have to operate in, in terms of like being a professional and having a career as an actor? I'm so glad you're putting it in those terms because I don't think of it that way. <laughs> That's and, probably why you're still doing it. <laughs> but but it's, it, it, when you ask that question, it's what I've done progressively over the years is learn more and more to enjoy everything. Because you, you can't go on an audition if it's about getting a job. Right. Because the ego gets right. in the way and won't let you have the experience that is meant to happen there. Because you get attached to the results. And yeah, and, you, and you, you get attached to what you're going to put out rather than being in a frame of mind and a state where you're going to be spontaneously exploring something in front of other people and where you're going to be creating, like you said, just out of thin air. You know, you do your work and then you do that. And, you know, just hanging out on a set, uh, waiting hours before they shoot you, 
if I divide it up and say, this is the good bit and this is the bad bit, then I'm screwed. <laughs> because <laughs> right. if I'm practicing being miserable right. until it's time to shoot, I'll get to be, being ready to shoot and it's, it, I'm miserable. That's so true. I forgot about the time that, because coming from doing wardrobe for a long time, I didn't work in film and TV, but I did you know like 50 commercials, I think, in my 17 years, which is a lot, you know? Mm. And in commercials, there's takes. I mean, you've done a lot of commercials, you know, it's like, you might have to say, I really love my Toyota because, you know, it gets me from point A to point B. And then the director's like, no, 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 no. Say it like this. I really love my Toyota because it gets, you know, it's like on and on and on. Just to be clear, I haven't done a lot of commercials. Oh, you haven't? No, they don't let me. Oh, okay. Okay. I was, however, the the Buick happiness expert. Oh, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But you're like really being the meditation dude for Buick, which yeah. was an interesting thing. It was. But what I'm what I was getting at was I forgot about like from the actor's standpoint, now I'm picturing you actors sitting in your motorhome for fucking hours mm. waiting on your scene and then you come out and do your scene and I'm sure it's the same way in film and TV and like that's the big moment where you get to have some fun but yeah. you're right if you're contextualizing the other 95% of the actual minutes or hours or days spent doing the work that supports the creative moments then you're probably not going to enjoy your life very much as an actor or musician painter No and you're not going to bring your A game when the camera turns on you've got to be practicing excellence and presence all the time Right <laughs> That's so great, dude. Because I totally contextualized and like I made a pie chart when I was really determining, do I want to play music? And it was like, (laughs) wow, there's a little sliver of the time where I'm in flow state and like the band is clicking. I'm in sync with the drummer, the the singers in key. Everything's just right. The sound's good. My mix is good. And then I look at the other, you know, 98% of the pie chart. And it's like, I think about sitting in the fucking van, driving. We used to tour a lot in the UK in the last band I was in. We did five tours there and it was freezing. We'd always go in the fall and winter. And I, all I can remember is just like laying in the back of the van trying to sleep. It was a Royal Mail van. It's not like I was in a tour bus. So I started to like, I guess it's just a pattern of, of the negative mind is to just find fault with any situation. And you actually made up a pie chart to be really clear about <laughs> yeah. how much negative there was in real, realistically. Exactly. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good stuff, good stuff. And then, you know, eventually I found other ways to be creative, you know, and yeah. I and I actually enjoyed a lot of the other things that I did. And truth be told, I just really don't enjoy playing in a band. It's just like, yeah, I actually... clear. The thing about playing in a band, I always say, is it's great except for the fact that you have to hang out with musicians. Musicians <laughs> are a very strange set of people to right? have to try I mean, to you hang play out music, with. you yeah. hang out with musicians. It's, you yeah. know, it's, uh, they're like the most beautiful, creative people, but at the same time can be the biggest pains in the ass, myself wholeheartedly included, yeah. maybe at the top of the list. Okay, so in terms of acting, I mean, you've done a, a lot of great shows. The funny thing is, is most people I meet know you from Sons of Anarchy or, or Walking Dead. Uh-huh. And I got like a couple seasons in to Walking Dead because I was dating someone that was obsessed with it that you know and she loved you and was excited to learn meditation from you and all that. And I would watch it to just kind of humor her and it was a way we could share time together. And I actually really got into the show but it was also so toxic for me that it would give me a hangover because we'd watch it like right before bed. And, you know, my subconscious mind is seeing 60 zombies per episode being axed in the head. 
And it was like, as much as I liked it, I would have nightmares about being chased by zombies and all that. So I, ha- I have to be honest, I haven't gotten to your season yet where you come in. <laughs> it's like, but I don't want to jump to your episodes because I don't mm. want to fuck the story up for myself because I was actually really into the narrative of... The great story. Yeah, whatever season. And yeah. I love post-apocalyptic themes, like some of my favorite films and just that theme of like when shit goes wrong and everyone's desperate and you get to see humanity come out and it's best and worst in those Mm -hmm, moments mm -hmm. like the watching the the weather that we've been having you see the looters right and then you see these amazing people of all races come together and help one another in such a beautiful way so i like that theme but i'm like god i gotta like find a way to in what's the word immunize in what's the fucking word immunize Immunize, works immunize myself in, against like the the negative energy and the violence yeah, of it. The darkness. Yeah. It's weird, man. I I've become very susceptible to that dark side, which I used to be in love with my whole life. But just that type of really heavy dark music and film and all of that. Yeah, because I, it matched what the inside of you was feeling. Right. And it's like, oh, my people, or, or people who are even worse off than I am, or right. something that feels as fraught as it feels <laughs> right, to be me. Right. Yeah. So my, my question is, in terms of the type of work that you do and themes, I mean, like when you were on Shameless, it was really funny, and you had this great character, and it was, you know, there's like a comedic element to that whole show, and especially your part in it. And so I definitely saw that and enjoyed that, because I love that show. It's dark in a way, but it's also it's so sort of fun and yeah, you know, yeah. there's a lot of satire involved. So it doesn't really ring that toxic to me, like a show like breaking bad or something yeah. was just like, Oh God, this is so gnarly as an actor. How are you able to sort of protect yourself energetically when you're playing a part? That's this really dark character. Cause you seem to be cast as kind of a, a rotten guy. A lot of the time that's, that's changing, actually. It is? Yeah. There's, I mean, there are things that I'm doing these days where I'm not a rotten guy. And then there are other things I've just recently done where I am rottener than I've ever been. However, no one feels that they're rotten. No, you know, the character themselves, him or herself, does not feel like they're a bad person more often than not. And an example, I did this uh, episode of... Uh, Law and Order uh, SVU, and I played a guy who was, you know, the leader of a cult and uh, responsible for the death of about 25 kids, and I played it as a man of God, because that's what the guy was, and he was trying to give birth to the uh, second coming, and he had a 12 and a half year old wife to do this with. <laughs> Jesus. And, yes. I, um, no, I see where you're going with this. So, this is good. This so is good. this was what I had been called to do. And I even tried to help out Mariska Hargitay's character. Like, you play with this darkness all the time. You deal with darkness all the time. What is it in you that, oh, you've been abused, haven't you? You were raped. Was it a family member? You know, like that kind of thing. And I was just really being that guy. And I had fun on the set. I was laughing with everybody and playing around, and it was good work, and we were all doing it together. And, and then there was actually, for one reason or another, there was a gathering of my friends and family to watch this episode. The episode started, I lasted about five minutes, and I left the room because, for me, I was being a man of God. In context, it was creepy as hell. But I wasn't seeing it in context. I was seeing it in my narrow context of I'm doing it as well as I know how to do it. This is what I've been called upon to do. This is what I have a gift for. Let me give to you. 
Well, this is, yeah, I mean, this is the, uh, you know, we both are huge fans of David Hawkins, and I talk about him, his work all the time mm. on this show because it's just, there's no way I can avoid it. But the way he frames different human beings at different stages of evolution or different incarnations is that each one of us has a level of consciousness, right? And every person, and I don't think he originated this idea, but every person is doing what they think is right at every given moment. Yeah. From George Bush to Hitler. No, to, I think Socrates actually. Okay, the he was okay. Who recorded who said that. Yeah. Yeah, it's like. He never at a point is any human being like, okay, what's the worst decision I could make right now? Well, yeah. yeah, let me do that. It's yeah. always like, okay, I know what to do. I'm going to exterminate millions of people. This is great. This is really going to help my country. You know, yeah. it's like yeah. not to make light of something so devastating and horrific, obviously, as the Holocaust, but it's just an example of, yeah, it's within that person's framework that there is no darkness because they're living in darkness. So adding darkness to darkness creates no contrast. It's, that's, yeah, well said. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so you're able to kind of sink into that character and be absolved of um, of any guilt or influence on you, the real person, because you're becoming the character so much that you're almost like... Well, and, and also, if we take it in a wider context, there's a beautiful thing that you learn by studying the Vedic canon, and you see the absolute need for evil to be present in order for good to have something to do. I mean, imagine a story that... Oh, man, that's a good tweetable. <laughs> if I tweeted things like <laughs> but, but imagine uh, reading a novel or watching a movie that begins, everything was great, and it continued to be great, and then it was great. And every character was a protagonist and lived happily ever after. And lived happily ever after. It, no, thank you. There's a, in the Ramayana, Ram, who is God incarnate, but continually forgets that he's God, and he, he just thinks of himself as a human being, and then he gets reminded, you know. He's, uh, he has to, Ravana, the demon, has stolen his wife, Sita, and he has to go rescue her, and this massive war takes place. And at the end, Ravana is pierced with a thousand arrows, and he's lying there dying, and Ram's... Uh, army is going to tear him apart because he cost them so much. And he said, no, no, stop. He's a magnificent creature. Didn't you see the way he fought? L let him die a dignified death. And, uh, you know, he goes to him and he says, you're clearly a superhuman character. Why did you choose evil? And he said, because I wanted to be next to you. And I knew by being good, it would take me a thousand lifetimes. But by being evil, I could do it in one, and, and here I am dying with you by my side. You know? Wow. So there's this thing of that evil is absolutely there in order for heroism, in order for a man or a woman to step beyond their limitations, their personal limitations, their ego limitations, and become the truth of what they are. There must be a challenge in order for that to happen. And that challenge must come from someone who is embodying other values. I won't even call them evil. They're just other values. They're right. values, as Hawkins would say, right. values of the animal nature, of the ego, of the need to fill oneself. Yeah, well, <laughs> this is going to a great area right here. I was like, I had, I'm always like premeditating the next sort of train of thought, but this is huge because I was just listening to this morning as I sat in front of my juve. I got to show you this thing. We're done this fucking uh, red light therapy thing. It's insane. <laughs> 
Okay. It's in, it's insanity. Um, I stand in front of that thing, and I have this whole regimen that I do, and I always listen to some kind of spiritual podcast or audiobook. And today I was listening to the Ram Das podcast, and it's just archives of all of his lectures. And it, it's a great one. It's very much in alignment with Hawkins' work, where he's talking about the necessity of darkness and evil in the human experience mm. in order for us to evolve. And I think this is this is people have I think struggle so much with the idea of God because of the existence of eagle of evil of eagles. If there were no eagles. Um and so the way he contextualized it was like, no, if you if what's best for your soul's evolution in this un- incarnation is to arrive and be born into a family in poverty in Kenya and be born with Down syndrome or, you know, you're missing a limb and a birth defect and then you decide, yes, I'm going to be raped at 14 years old and then I'm going to die when I'm 17. Like, all of that is predetermined and from the people that observe that lifetime play out after you're born, it seems like there is no God and the world is full of darkness and evil, but that was a necessary incarnation and those circumstances were absolutely perfect for that soul to evolve for those 17 years and get to the next point, you know, and that whole thing. And you have to kind of buy into the idea, the you know, I guess, well, many traditions, but definitely in the Vedic tradition of the incarnations. And to me, I don't know if this is a way that I just make myself feel better for there being evil dictators and storms and shit and earthquakes in the world. But it's like, seems very much so that my suffering, although it's less than many people in the world have suffered, uh, for me, my burden has been the heaviest, you know, being an alcoholic and a drug addict and, you know, sexual abuse when I was a kid to neglect from my parents and all that stuff. Looking at it now, I'm like, wow, this is absolutely perfect. Like, thank God the world had some darkness available to me to go explore the shadow, to get really hurt, get beaten into humility, to where the most important thing in my life has become having conversations like this, which lead me to get closer to God Mm -hmm. and to help Mm -hmm. alleviate the suffering of other people that are suffering in ways in which I have and have seemingly surmounted in one way or another. So it's like without darkness and struggle and evil and all of that, it's sort of like, why come here? Like, why have a planet and why have people if everything's unicorns and rainbows? Like, what's the fucking point? That's like yeah. sending a PhD to kindergarten. What are you going to do there? Yeah. How do you contextualize the existence of darkness and evil in the world and know that there's still a benevolent force of good in the universe? That's well, allowing that spectrum of experience to take place. There are so many different ways of looking at it, but a, a couple that are a part of my worldview. Number one, it's said that if God is, then God is everything. Now, if God is everything, it doesn't mean just those bits that I like. It means the whole of it. And it means that God is available in all of those bits. And that I'm here in order to find God in all of those places. And if not find, at least to seek in every moment, in every situation, in every experience. Uh, what Hawkins says absolutely is, is uh, I believe, the truth that we come into this life in order to learn the lessons that we choose to learn as spirit. And I say we, as it's, it, it is a personal choice. It's uh, uh, the choice of spirit to challenge itself in a certain way. And... And we choose exactly that set of parents and that set of circumstances that will allow us to take the next step that we have discerned for ourselves. And as Hawkins said, if we didn't have a 
world exactly like this, with all of its challenges, we would have to go build one exactly <laughs> right. like this right, right. in order to advance ourselves. Right. I mean, isn't this the naivete of someone who thinks that we should have world peace and there should be no war and there should be no earthquakes and everything should just be complete harmony and get on this like do-gooderism and saving the planet and saving the world and making everyone happy and get along i mean is that wouldn't would that not defeat the purpose of having the experience well like you know what i mean there's this fine line between oh i'm fuck it i'm just gonna let the world be evil and let people suffer and not contribute and just watch football and you know eat cheetos or whatever versus i'm gonna go out and save the world because i have an idea of how the world should be there's a certain arrogance in trying to save the world well, yeah and both of those are completely unworkable and untenable <laughs> approaches to life <laughs> right but they're both of the ego okay you know? okay and as you kept saying eagle because whenever you try to say evil you were your <laughs> mouth wanted to say ego right you know and, and right. i really look at the world as i have demands being placed upon me constantly by my animal nature, which is experienced by me through what we call the ego, the spiritual ego, which is, you know, you need an ego just to get out of bed and to walk out into the world. You need a sense of self. But when you live solely through that sense of self, you're at the mercy of the demands of the animal nature. And the demands of the animal nature are to keep itself safe, to uh, procreate, and once safety is achieved, to find comfort. And that is always operating in me. And if I want to tune into those thoughts and those assessments, self-assessments and world assessments, then I'm going to have to make a choice of being a goody two-shoes or of saying, fuck everything. And you can't fix anything or anybody. And you can't kill your way to safety or kill your way to peace or step out of life and expect to continue to have life. So all of that is happening all the time, but then there's something else that's going on as well, which is life, the whole of life, the oneness of life, wants to be lived through me. And it has, as its uh, intention in, in the universe, a whole other set of values than those of the animal nature. Those are the ones I want to tune into, and uh, the only way I can even begin to do that is to begin to uh, characterize the demands of the animal nature as not important to me. And then have some way of you know, tuning in, meditation-wise, to that still, small voice, to that flow of life that is moving through me. And this is where the approach to creativity and the approach to life are on a spectrum. They're not separate. They're not different. What we're always looking for is flow. And flow requires that I'm grounded here, in something that is true, meaning that doesn't change, which could not possibly be my thoughts and feelings because they're completely different now than they were five minutes ago, than they were when I was parking the car, than they were when we got hooked up to all these wires. You know, it's completely different. I, I can't ground myself in that, but I can ground myself in something else. And then I can put my attention out here, and that forms a binary system through which flow can occur. There has to be poles, you know, for electricity, for current to move. There has to be a positive and a negative pole, a place from which it comes and a place that it goes toward. That flow is the movement of life. That's the movement of God, the movement of nature, the movement of enlightenment, whatever you want to call it. 
And in, in that configuration of life, I'm not a thing or an object, I'm a process. And because life and nature always is evolving itself, by joining into that process of me, I'm also going to be consistently and continually evolving as an expression of something other than my small demands. Let's take a moment for a little creative visualization, shall we? Now, unless you're driving a car, in which case, do not do this exercise, let's close our eyes for just a moment. Ready? Now, imagine that I, your host and friend Luke Story, am passing a small hat around the room, and it arrives in your hands, and when that hat hits your hands, you're going to remove from your pocket two, three, four, five, ten dollars and put it in the hat and pass the hat along. Eventually, that hat's going to reach your old pal Luke again, and a few people will have contributed into the kitty, and I will then have some funds to not only continue this show, but to grow and improve it. Now, there's no hat in real life, so I'd like you to snap back out of that lovely trance that you've been in and go to lukestory.com forward slash support, where you'll find three easy ways to help contribute a small pledge, a monetary pledge, that is, to support the Lifestylist podcast. So go to lukestory.com forward slash support and help to fund the show. If you're a first-time listener or you just got here and you're not sure you're ready to commit on such a level, no prob. Just keep listening to the show. I'm so happy to bring this content, and I'm going to keep bringing it no matter what. But if you feel so inclined, a little help would be greatly appreciated. So if we're following this framework of living our lives as individual expressions of God and consciousness, is that not the most meaningful uh, expression and and also the most uh, powerful benefit to the world of just doing your own work versus apathy and just like, fuck it, the world's evil, I'm not doing anything, I don't give a shit. And then the other extreme of like, I'm going to be out on the street protesting, lighting shit on fire, changing the world, saving the dolphins, like getting caught up in do-gooderism is not is not what I'm hearing like the middle path almost of like, I'm going to do my work and create an energy field around me so that anyone and anything I come into contact with, I'm going to be adding to rather than, well, the, than taking away <clears throat> from. Whereas the, the ego survival mode of life is very rapacious and is just constantly looking to take, 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 or control, control, control to fix mm-hmm. and make everyone else be a good person mm-hmm. and eradicate evil and wrongdoing from the planet, which is a fool's errand. So are, is what you're describing more of a middle path where it's like be the change you want to see in the world where you might be proactive, but you're also not, you know, it's other words like Mother Teresa wouldn't, wouldn't protest against war. She would protest for peace. Yeah, she never went to an anti-war rally, but she attended a lot of peace marches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So is that is that kind of the the path in terms of how you would interface with the world and how someone could contextualize? Well, I think the world needs to be different. I mean, I think that's the thing that is kind of irritating to me with the whole like activism aspect is that it's like, was it Maharishi, I think, that said, the world that you see doesn't even exist. You know, it's like, <laughs> I'm going to change reality? Dude, I don't even know what the fuck reality is. This table right here is a bunch of swirling electrons. It's not even a real thing. I mean, the whole planet is a mirage on one level. So do you not do anything? Or, you know, where's the, well, where's the so fine there's line a, there? There's many, many questions that you're... you're uh, I have a habit the, of doing the, that. The, I'll ask you 25 questions the, in one rant and then expect you to give me a, a cohesive I, answer. I'm going to... I'm going to 
You see I'm what very, I'm getting at, though? Yes, it's like, I do. How do you be a good person and make a good contribution to the world without being an a-hole and trying to control everyone and decide that you think... That's a whole other question. All right, all right, all right. Ask. Go ahead, go ahead. Okay. One thing you said earlier was that I'm going to work on myself and create an energy field okay. around me yes, yes. that will change the people I come in contact with. Or have a positive impact. Or have a positive impact on the people who come within my event horizon. Okay. This is a, yeah. an astrophysical uh, term. Okay. You're not going to create an energy field. You are an energy field. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And there's only one energy field, and it's consciousness. Right. And so okay. what I do in consciousness absolutely has an effect on the whole of consciousness. And if I have the great gift of being able to know myself, even the tiniest bit as consciousness, then it's absolutely my responsibility to know the truth of myself to the greatest extent possible at every moment possible. Because that will lend what we can call adaptation energy to the rest of consciousness and the other people experiencing it. You know, it's there, I don't think there has ever been a time on the planet where it has been more challenging to be a human being than it is right now. Everything that the world is telling us is about separation and bifurcation and, and cutting itself into smaller and smaller bits. Not only, you know, like the, the different uh, political systems, the different ways of looking at, at the world, there's a thing that's happening right now where people are finding safety ego safety, in bonding against another group rather than bonding as a group. It's not that the people on the right share the same values, it's that they all hate the left. And it's not that the people on the left all share the same values, they just hate the people on the right and what they stand for, although the people on the left like to couch it in terms of not hatred, but just knowing what's right and these people don't yeah elite elitist righteousness yeah yeah <laughs> and it's a, and it's, a it's a it's now. a it's a negative polarization that's taking yeah. place but even beyond that you take it into smaller bits i i was just up on wilshire i dropped some film off and walked down the street to get some lunch and i was standing at the street corner there were five of us at the street corner and four of us we're looking at our phones. I was standing there going like, God, remember the old days where you would stand on a street corner and wait for the light to change and you might say, hey, where'd you get that shirt? Or you're working around here, you look like you're dusty from construction. You know, that don't happen anymore because people are with themselves and with their little, it's, it's like instead of listening to all your negative thinking, and making pie charts to see how much you hate something. You're looking, <laughs> you're, you're looking it up to see if there are other people who feel the same way you do, or if there's something else you can be horrified by in right. today's news. Of course there is. It's today's news. You're going to be horrified by something. But this tiny little, uh, for those of you listening at home, Jeff is making the gesture of holding an iPhone in his hand. We're getting more and more insular. And there's less and less uh, about sharing. There's less and less about connecting. There's, you know, uh, we were talking about relationships earlier, and relationships are where you get to find out what you are. You get to find out if you're able to flow or not, if you're able to be present or not, if you're able to be seen or not, if you're able to actually look at another human being and care more about what's going on with them than about what's going on with you. 
Wait, that's possible? <laughs> it's not only is it possible, it's, it's preferable. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm halfway joking. But I, from, know, I, I know, but it's, you have to train yourself to do yeah. it. Well, from the ego perspective, that is a non-paradigm. You know, it's like, no, it's, yeah, that, yeah, no. it's, it's that survival. But going, going back to what you said, because I, I was sort of couching this, how I'm going to interact as a spiritual being in the world as like, there's me as this isolated energy field, and I'm going to keep working on myself in this insular, insular, what's that word? Insular? Insular? Insular, insular yeah. way. And then that's going to have effect on the people. I love that you backed that up and you're like, no, dude, you can't be the wave that's separate from the ocean, essentially. It's like you have to be, the because you can't be whether you think you are separate or not. You're right. not because there's only one mind. There's only one life force, right, that we're all sort of tapped into. So I have to identify that, yes, I am a wave, but my wave is an expression of all the water in the ocean, Right. It's not according to the Veda, according to Advaita, which is the way that Hawkins speaks about it. Uh, Dvaita is the, where we get our, it's the Sanskrit word that, uh, where we get our English word divide. Dvaita means that which is broken, that which is divided. And if you add an A to the beginning of most Sanskrit words, you get the opposite. So Advaita is that which is not broken, which is not divided, which can't be divided. So in, in terms of Advaita, it's not one energy source that we're all tapped into. It's one energy source that we all are. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, yeah. I am uh, the ocean. This, this gets like further divided. I guess this is like, this is sort of like, I don't have a soul, I am a soul. A soul isn't I, like a compartment of my human experience. Like, oh, no. it's just a category of who I am. It's like, no, I... The soul is who I am, and everything else is almost compartmentalized. Well, it, and I would say, uh, more specifically, the soul is what I am. Ah, okay. Because there is because no who. As soon there as is I, no who. <laughs> as soon as I say who, then it's like, these are my thoughts, these are my feelings, and they're important because they're mine, Right. you know, and they're shinier than yours, and I need to get you to have the same ones that I'm having so that I can feel like I have companionship and that I'm not wrong. And uh, th- there is... Only soul, if you want to use that term, yeah. or spirit, or consciousness, and each of us is an individual experience of that one whole complete thing. And there are as many ways to do that individual experience as there are individual experiencers. But they're all of the same thing. This is why, you know, people who are virulent racists can, you know, accidentally fall into a conversation with somebody who's of the race that they purportedly hate. But then soul is speaking to soul and you forget to look at what divides you and what makes you different. And suddenly you're going like, wow, you're, you're just a person like I am. You have the same hopes and fears. You have, you know, the same desires. You're an expression of life too. How can I possibly hate? Well, it's those others. You know, that's all ego. And I, I always have to I always have to return to knowing the truth of me. And truth is, is really specific. Truth is that which never changes. You know, I, in high school, I played football, loved running into people, loved running over people, loved watching it, <laughs> loved using my size. I was 220 in high school. I, it was just like, this made sense. You know, now I can't watch football because I know it's costing these men their lives, their, their minds, you know? Same here. So there's nothing true about football. So you're not a big MMA guy, huh? I, I, <laughs> I, I know what it is. Yeah, yeah.
Man, I have to sincerely apologize right at this moment because I had to cut this interview off halfway through, man. Two hours is just too long for one episode. What do you think I am, uh, Joe Rogan over here? Can't get away with that shit. So I had to cut it off, unfortunately, but I really, really want to encourage you to tune in on Friday for part two with Jeff Kober because that's when we really start digging into some of the deeply spiritual material. The acting stuff, all the creativity. I loved this part one. But part two is like, that shit gets heavy, y'all, and I don't want you to miss it. So to ensure that you don't miss part two of this episode with Jeff, or for that matter, any of the future episodes, which I guarantee you are going to be equally as awesome, why don't you subscribe to this podcast? You'll see something on your player or your device or your computer somewhere where you found this podcast and you're listening to it. It will say subscribe. Why don't you do yourself a favor and just hit subscribe? This way you don't miss any of the episodes. And in case you miss like a day that it comes out, you'll just find it magically appear in your phone. That's what I do with like my top 10 favorite podcasts. Maybe someday I'll tell you what they are. I'll give you a hint. One of them is with my friend Daniel Vitalis, Rewild Yourself. There you go. There's one. And Bulletproof Radio. There's another one. And then a bunch of weird spiritual ones, (laughs) which I don't have time to go into. But seriously, though, thank you so much for joining me. I really hope that you're getting some value out of this show. Uh, My downloads are growing and growing. I really appreciate you sharing these episodes with friends and subscribing and tuning in when you can. Uh, Don't forget that if you want to get the show notes for the various episodes that I release, All you have to do is go to my website, that is lukestory.com, and right on the homepage, you're going to see a little tab that says, Join the Evolution. It's a little covert. Maybe I should have it say, Join my email list and get my show notes, but I'm not that good at marketing. I go for like a cool little catchphrase such as join the evolution. But if you click on that, it's going to ask for your name and email. You'll be added to my email list. I'm very respectful with my email list. I don't send out like weird stuff. I just let you know when there's a podcast. And when this one with Jeff comes out, for example, you would have received an email with all of the clickable show notes and links and every single thing that we talked about. So get on my mailing list. It is awesome. It's just free value all the time on the reg. All right. So thanks so much for listening. And until we meet again, uh, I'd also like to remind you that next Tuesday, number 96 with Lacey Phillips from the site Free and Native comes out. And that is like essentially kind of like the female version of the talk that I had with Jeff. We cover a lot of the same kind of stuff from a totally different perspective, a little more about the manifestation and creating the life that you want to have. So really, really great conversation. That one too. I mean, I don't know. For me, these shows keep getting better and better. So I'm super excited. All right. That's enough out of me. I'll see you back here with Jeff on Friday and then I'll see you next Tuesday. Well, I won't see you, but you'll hear me and I'll kind of hear you uh, with Lacey. All right. Peace out. Bye. Okay, one last reminder about this happening in Aspen, Colorado. Again, I'll be speaking Friday, October 27th at Aspen Shakti. To get into that event, you'll go to aspenshakti.com. Then that whole weekend, the 26th through the 29th, I'll be attending and enjoying thoroughly the Lead with Love event featuring Deepak Chopra, Marion Williamson, and tons of other fantastic people. To come to the Lead with Love event, go to this site, leadwithloveaspen.org. Use the code LUKESTORY for coming. Save yourself 100 bucks off the four-day pass. So two fantastic events in the Rocky Mountains. Come hang out with me at some high altitude, some high vibes. We're going to have a fantastic time. Hope to see you there.